0: Well, I am going to complete the series that I've been doing on some of the Christmas hymns. Guess which one I'm doing today? (laughs) Joy to the world. Joy to the world. You know, I hope throughout these past three weeks, the fourth week here, you start to look at some of these Christmas carols, these Christmas hymns, a little differently. You know, back when they were written, they were written to really teach theology, teach doctrine. They're some of the more scriptural songs that we sing. And we sing them so often we just kind of let them go past us, the words, the power in the words, the, the meaning of the words. A number of these, a couple of them at least, even of the four that I've talked about, weren't even originally intended to be a Christmas carol or a Christmas hymn. The message this morning is titled, Where Does Your Joy Come From? Where does your joy come from? The answer to that will make such a difference in our lives, the way we live day to day. What kind of joy do we have? What's the source? Where does it come from? We sing joy to the world. This song, Joy to the World, was written by a man named Isaac Watts, and I'm going to turn to Psalms 98. If you want to turn there, you sure can. I do not have it on the screen. But Isaac Watts wrote this back in the early 1700s. And he didn't write it, first of all, even as a song. Certainly he didn't write it as a Christmas carol. He did some amazing writing, theological writing, as well as other types of secular writing. Well-known writer, And he one of the books, or one of the books that he wrote, was a compilation of poems that he wrote. And he wrote this book of poems based on what he felt different psalms spoke to him, how he received the, the, the the psalm that he read, what it meant to him, what he saw in it. And this particular song, "Joy to the World," is his way of understanding the 98th Psalm. I think I'm going to go ahead and read that, and I think you'll be able to see where he was coming from when he wrote this poem. Oh, sing to the Lord a new song, for he has done wonderful things. His right hand and his holy arm have gained the victory for him. The Lord has made known his salvation. He has revealed his righteousness in the sight of the nations. He has remembered his loving kindness and his faithfulness to the house of Israel. All the ends of the earth have seen the salvation of our God. Shout joyfully to the Lord, all the earth. Break forth and sing for joy and sing praises. Sing praises to the Lord with the lyre lyre and the sound of melody. With trumpets and the sound of the horn, shout joyfully before the Lord, before the King. Let the sea roar and all that it contains, the world and those who dwell in it. Let the rivers clap their hands, let the mountains sing together for joy before the Lord, for he is coming to judge the earth and he will judge the world with righteousness and the people with righteousness. When he read this psalm and when he wrote this song, what we now sing is joy to the world. He was looking beyond our own personal salvation. He was looking at this Savior who came to earth, the Son of God, and how he came to save all of creation. And when you read the words of that psalm and you see nature worshiping God, the mountains, the rivers, all of these things, he's seeing this in such a big way and probably a much more accurate way than we often think of it. It was intended when it was... Put to music to be a praise song, to draw people together to come and praise God. This baby who was born and one day will rule over all of his creation. That's who Jesus is. This baby in the manger. Born to be the king of all creation. That was his desire, that we would rejoice. Lift up the name of Jesus recognizing him, not just for who he was, not just even for who he is, but for who he will be. King of kings, Lord of lords, the ruler of all the earth. And when it became a Christmas carol, it became a very popular Christmas carol, and declaring the coming of the king, and that's what we were singing about. And hopefully we... We can even look back into the Christmas story, and I'm not going to read all of the Christmas story from Luke chapter 2, but I want us to just look at the verse 20, where we see the response of the shepherds. The shepherds had been in the fields. We know the story, right? He'd been over, they'd been watching their flock, and an angel appeared. And this angel appeared, and they had this message for them that there was going to be this amazing miracle take place a baby who was going to be born, who was going to be Christ the Lord. And they went to the manger and they saw the baby and they bowed down before him and worshipped him. And then in verse 20, it says, The shepherds went back, back where? To their flocks, glorifying and praising God for all that they had heard and seen just had been told them. Their response was one of rejoicing. Praising God, giving God glory. Now, in one of the past sermons, we talked a lot more about the shepherds, so I'm not going to go into too much detail. But remember, just keep that in mind that in a general sense, shepherds in this time were looked upon in a rather lowly way. They weren't an esteemed group of people. They were a smelly group of people. A matter of fact, what they did is their job, being shepherds, taking care of the sheep and doing all the things that they had to do as shepherds, actually made them to be ceremonially unclean according to the old law, the Jewish law. So these would easily have been a group of people who may not have been so filled with joy with their circumstance in life. Sometimes I think we can fall into that same trap of thinking because of the circumstance in our life, that joy that we hear about and even know about in our minds at least as Christians is hard for us to grab a hold of and hard to grasp the circumstances of life. They received a message while they were doing their job, while they were doing their thing out in the hills watching the sheep doing what they've been doing for years and years and years. But all of a sudden, something changed their focus. The angel came and shared the message. All of a sudden, their lot in life wasn't even on their mind. All of a sudden, their focus had changed completely to, who is this one that the angel just declared to us, lowly shepherds? that is going to be Christ the Lord. We see all of a sudden the joy that comes over them that overwhelms and pushes aside their circumstances. Our circumstances, whatever they are. What caused the big change in the shepherds? The same thing that should cause the change in each one of us as Christians. Their focus changed from their circumstance all around them from their situation what they were going through on a day-to-day basis their focus moved from that to an eternal focus the messiah the one who is Christ the lord was going to be born that night their fo- focus changed completely when they heard the message the circumstances didn't matter it didn't matter The direction of our focus is something we need to grab a hold of when it comes to joy of the Lord and joy in our life. So much of us and so much of the world, especially the world, but sadly so much of the church, those that call Jesus their Lord and Savior, look for circumstances to create our happiness or our satisfaction, or we could use the word joy. Circumstantial happiness. We're looking for something to make us feel good. Buying that new thing. Maybe it's getting that new car. Maybe it's moving into a new house. Maybe it's a new relationship that we go, oh, this one's the one. We don't know. Whatever it is, the circumstances, there's this happiness, there's satisfaction. And you know how long it lasts? Until those circumstances aren't meeting our expectations. That new car that was going to bring me joy and happiness and satisfaction is a lemon. It keeps breaking down. I have no joy in that car. It's gone. They didn't tell me all the problems beneath the surface of this new home. It's a money pit. This new relationship? Uh, yeah, well, maybe the next one. That new job that you were so excited about. Guess what? There's bad people there too. Circumstances. And as soon as the circumstances change, our joy disappears. As soon as it changes. And it happens to all of us. And then you know what happens? What we see in the world and we can see in our own life if we fall into this snare. As soon as that changes, we go looking for the next thing. And looking for the next thing and the next thing and the next thing. And if all we keep looking at is circumstantial stuff, we're going to be trapped in this cycle that is totally unfulfilling. And it's just doggone depressing. And it can lead us to just give up and sink into this place of believing those thoughts the enemy would like us to believe that we're not good enough, we're failures. Yeah, I guess everybody else is happy. Shoot, we come on Sunday morning and we see all these happy, smiley faces and we think, Mine, I'm the only one whose life um, stinks. <laughs> those little kids always correct me when I use that other word. It stinks. Everybody else has got it made. Look at them. They all look, Y'all look so doggone good this morning. Your lives must be perfect. I'm the only one who has some things that are not good in my life. Well, that's not true, is it? We all have circumstances, circumstances, and if if our circumstances are dictating what we're going to be joyful about, we're in trouble. What we need to do is look to eternal things. And the world doesn't have that option unless we share with them the the truth about Jesus Christ. The world doesn't have an option to look to the eternal things. They have nothing. And that's probably a good thing because if the world understood eternal things, they would then see where they're going. And what eternity holds for them is eternity in hell, suffering, separated from God forever. We need to look and make sure that our focus remains on eternal things. And this is what joy to the world is actually about. Why should we rejoice? What are the reasons we have to rejoice as Christians? Eternal things that we can grab a hold of that will never let us down as long as we hold on to them. And believe it or not, each one of those four stanzas we just sang point out clearly one of those things that we should be rejoicing about. The first stanza, joy to the world. The Lord has come. Let earth receive its king. Let every heart prepare him room. And heaven and nature sing. First reason we have to rejoice is Jesus is the king. He is the Lord. He is the king of kings. There is none like him, never has been, never will be. He is the king. Jesus is to be our king. He is to be our benevolent, loving king. Benevolent, kind, compassionate king. And if he is our king, we are to surrender our lives to him and allow him to be king and lord of our life. And in that is where we find the reason to rejoice. He is the king. He is the one who is to have authority over our lives. Don't you hate hearing that, some of us? Makes you want to cringe. It goes against our culture. Not only our culture, it goes against the the, the human heart That's not been redeemed. What do you mean I'm supposed to let him be authority? I'm in charge of my life. As a matter of fact, isn't that what freedom's all about? I don't have to be under the rule of anybody else. I'm free. That's the way we think. And boy, watch your joy disappear as we think we're in control of our life. We make all the decisions. There was another man named George MacDonald. I may have mentioned him in one of the other messages uh, on the Christmas songs. But George MacDonald, he was an author and a preacher. And he had some comments about the people in hell. Listen to this quote. The central conviction of hell is, I am my own. And what he's saying is the shared conviction of those that find themselves in hell is my life is mine. It's mine to live any way I want and to do whatever I want. I'm free. I don't have to listen to anyone. And if we think about the I am my own thinking, boy, does that cause a lot of problems. I am my own. It's selfishness and pride manifested I am my own. Relationships destroyed because I am my own. All the crime that surrounds us in our world and our culture, I am my own. I can do whatever it is I want to do. Relationships, I am my own. Whatever relationships it might be. The destruction by that attitude, and according to McDonald, and it's an interesting thought is the primary conviction of those who find themselves in hell. They don't need God. They don't need a king. They certainly don't even want a ruler in their life. I am my own. We as Christians know there's something better. Let the earth receive her king. And then that song, the the words, that phrase that says, prepare your hearts. Have we prepared our hearts to receive the king? Prepared our hearts. What does that mean? It means we have humbled ourselves. We have seen that we are sinful creatures, sinful beings, and we need a Savior. We prepared our hearts and acknowledged that we can't make it on our own. I don't do good when I'm in control, when I am in charge. I don't do so well. I need a Savior. I need somebody else. My heart is prepared, a heart of humility, to receive him as our King. A reason to rejoice, number two, is in the second stanza. He is our Savior. Joy to the earth, our Savior reigns. Let men their songs employ, while fields and floods and rocks and hills and plains repeat the sounding joy. You can see in your mind, I think, if you go back to Psalm 98, where he's coming from as he wrote this poem. All earth is rejoicing about a Savior the Savior of all. Psalm 98, creation is rejoicing. All creation suffers because of sin, yet to this day. But Jesus is the Savior of all of creation. We often think of salvation, and this isn't wrong thinking, but we often think of it as more of a transaction. And in that transaction, Jesus pays a price for my sin. And that's totally true. But it's more than that. It's more than just that basic transaction taking place. He has reversed the destruction of sin, the power of sin. He's reversed that power of sin over death in our lives. He's reversed all of these things. And you know, we could say, well, wait a minute. It doesn't seem like it's been reversed all that well. He's not done yet. It's not done yet. He came as the Savior, not just to forgive our sins, but to reverse all of the effects. And he's coming back one day, and he will finish it completely when he returns. We have that eternal view, or should have, of salvation. He is our King. He is our Savior. Stanza three, he is our Redeemer. Is there a difference between a Redeemer and a Savior? Yes, there is. Yes, there is. No more let sins and sorrows grow, nor thorns infest the ground. He comes to make His blessings full, far as the curse is found. I hope you're saying, gee, I didn't really get all that from that song when I sang it. Look at the the theology that's being Sung and taught as we sing that verse. The Redeemer. He didn't just save us and creation from the power of sin. He's redeemed us as well. He as, He is, you know, Jesus fixes everything. You know that? He fixes everything. Eternally, He fixes everything. You might say, Gal, I still got a problem or two. Yes, you do. Don't worry about it. It's all taken care of if your focus is eternal. If it's eternal, not circumstantial, it's eternal. There are so many things that we, we require to make us happy. You know, as soon as I get physically sick, I don't have a whole lot of joy. Ask my wife. Forty years of experience. She's learned it. If I get my sight on those circumstances, by the way, nobody gets as sick as me and lives before you think I'm a wimp. <laughs> But he redeems us. We're new. We're new things. He fixes it all. He's redeemed us from the power of sin. We become different people. Now, it may not happen overnight, but if you're not becoming a different person, we need to go back and review some things. We need to review. Any idiot can say a prayer. I'm sorry. I shouldn't use that word. Anybody can say a prayer. They're just words strung together. But if they're not coming from a heart of repentance and humility, acknowledging our failure and the provision Jesus provides, we've never been saved. And we're certainly not redeemed. But when we do, the process begins. He changes us. He begins to change us. It's amazing. And some people, it's so dramatic, but it's not finished. Other pieces, it's a slow, two-step-forward, one-step-back process. He's not finished. This process will not be finished again until he returns. Sin and sorrow no longer rule as we sing in that hymn. We have a new identity in Christ, his children of God, when we have been redeemed. doesn't matter who you are. Doesn't matter your heritage, doesn't matter what you've done. You are now given a new identity. You are now a child of God. He calls you His friend. You are a joint heir with Jesus Christ. You are redeemed from the power of sin and death. That's what should go on your identification card. Not those things that our brain or our past or or the devil would like us to believe. You're a loser. You're never going to amount to anything. You're not good enough. All lies. All lies. When we have been redeemed, we have a new identity as children of the Most High God, of the King of Kings, the Lord of Lords. He's our King. He's our Savior. He's our Redeemer. And in verse 4, this isn't exactly a spiritual Christian word, But he's our hero. How many of you have a hero? Spider-Man, anybody's hero? Superman? Some professional athlete? That's okay. I mean, if they're worth looking up to. But we have a hero that will never fail us. We can have heroes in the natural, but they're never perfect. But Jesus is a hero of heroes. He rules the world. With truth and grace, and makes the nations prove the glories of his righteousness and wonders of his love. Christmas gives us an opportunity to declare the victory of the King, of the Redeemer, our Savior. Declare the victory. He is the one true King. He's the rightful ruler. He's the only ruler. You know, there is no nation that's going to defeat our king. There is no political party that's going to defeat our king. There's no virus that's going to defeat our king. There's nothing that can defeat our king. He is the king of kings and lord of lords. Eternal view, eternal focus, not circumstantial, not temporal. None of these things that are out there are necessarily bad or evil in themselves. But when we start looking away from, if I'm, you know, I, had, I have a lot of heroes in my life. Some are, they deserve it to be my hero. Others were my hero, and they probably didn't deserve to be a hero. Not their fault, mine. I looked up to the wrong things or the wrong people. And you get disappointed. No human being is perfect. Jesus is. Nobody else, just him. He's the hero we can look up to and know that he's never, ever going to fail us. And the reality is this. Everybody and everything is going to bow to him eventually. Do we understand that? We might think we're in control. We might try to be rebellious. We might think that we're all it. But listen to what it says in Philippians chapter 2, verses 10 and 11. So that the na- at the name of Jesus, every knee will bow. Of those who are in heaven, those who are on earth, and those that are under the earth. And every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord, to the glory of God the Father. To the glories of his righteousness, as we sing in Joy to the World. Reasons to rejoice from an eternal perspective. He is our king. He is our savior. He's our redeemer. And he is worthy to be our hero. The baby born in Bethlehem was born to die in your place and my place. He went to the cross. And on that cross, he received the wrath of God that we deserved. He died to purchase the joy that I'm talking about and that we sang about this morning. He died to purchase that joy for each one of us. The joy that the angels angels announced to those lowly shepherds that dark night. Three days later, after he died for us, he rose from the dead. The firstborn of all who would follow him. In other words, he rose from the dead so that we can know we one day will too. He was the first one. We will follow eventually. And after he rose from the dead, he appeared to his disciples and he showed them how all the Bible pointed to him. Those days that he walked on the earth before he ascended to heaven, he was teaching his, his disciples, showing them that the baby born in the manger The one who became the preacher of the good news, the Son of God who was crucified, the King who conquered the grave, the power of sin and death, the joy of the world. Is Jesus where your joy comes from? I hope you don't listen to a message like that without asking a question like that. Is Jesus your joy? Is he the joy of your world? I know some of your circumstances are not good. They're terrible. And for those that know, don't know Jesus as the joy of their world, it's doubly sad. Is he your king? We need to ask that even as, our, as we are Christians. I need to ask myself that Is he my king? Is he my lord? Oh, I know he died and saved me. I know that. There is no doubt in my mind I'm going to heaven, but do I allow him to rule my life? Do I live to honor him and glorify him? Am I being changed as the Holy Spirit works in me? If he's not, he can be. And it starts with accepting him as your Lord and Savior. You know, as we went through that song about wanting more of him, more of him, more of him. It's a beautiful song. The reality is, he's just waiting for you and me to surrender more of us. And he will overflow in our lives. That is a reason to rejoice. And the reason we can sing joy to the world. And mean it and live it. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, I pray that as your Holy Spirit is searching our hearts, revealing the answers to those difficult questions in each one of our lives, do I have an eternal focus? Do I know Jesus as my Lord and Savior? Do I allow him to truly rule and reign and be the king of my life? Holy Spirit, show us those areas we maybe need to surrender Holy Spirit, woo any of us here that don't know Jesus in such a personal way that we would surrender our lives to him. Lord, I am so thankful that we have this time every year to focus on what is the incarnation. God in the flesh. God coming to earth, taking on the form of a child. To remind us of your amazing love. A father sending his son with a mission to go die on a cross. And we're so thankful that death couldn't hold him. That he truly is the victor and he is truly worthy to be our hero. I pray, God, that we look to him more and more each day. And give opportunity to share that eternal perspective with others who are stuck in that cycle of circumstantial happiness that we have a truth that you have given us and you have called us to go and share that truth with the world i pray that you would help us to be quick to respond when we see those opportunities and i pray lord now for each one of us here watch over us keep us safe i pray for so many that we know that we love as part of the body of christ here that are traveling different directions we pray your protection over them Father, we know that there are those here whose circumstances are serious health issues. We pray for them, God, for their strength, Father, for their eternal perspective to give them joy in the midst of the battles that they're fighting, knowing that you are with them. Lord, we pray that all that we do, all that we do would bring you praise, honor, and glory. And we ask all of this in Jesus' name, amen.